0: people used to write um, software for uh, a calculator, simple calculator. Now we write yeah. uh, software for uh, spreadsheets and complex uh, uh, cal- calculations and yeah. uh, whatever, you know, data, data analysis, blah, right. blah, blah, So it's the same thing. The now same we write platform. software to make something. Yeah, exactly. And, and the
1: main reason mm-hmm. we do it is that so that when the customer asks us to change the font to Helvetica, we don't have to do it ourselves. I yeah. think that's where it boils down to. I'm like, ah, change it on your own and stay away from it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three. We're going to talk about... Uh, the title pretty interesting today. We have... Uh, Productize till it hurts, customize till it works with Mariana and Luay. Welcome back, guys. How's it going?
0: Hello. How Can you feeling about episode start? three? Let's start there. Well, <laughs> excited. <laughs> all right, excited all right. to
2: talk about how products versus project management roles uh, switch yeah. between each other when thinking sure. about client side or product sides.
1: Let's do it. So uh, we're going to try to hit a thousand episodes, then we'll be famous. But if we get to 999, we're not famous, nobody be upset. It's a journey. (laughs) Let's do this. Okay. So today we're going to talk about, uh, so our title is Productize Till It Hurts, which just means that if you're building web products, digital products, SaaS products, you are You want to productize as much as possible, right? Because you set out to build a product. Maybe you want to get to the world. Maybe you want to go to thousands of people to use it. But then inevitably, you're going to start making money, which is hopefully a good thing. And you're going to be so excited. You can get that first contract, that second contract. And they're going to be like, hmm, can you give us a report that does this? Mm -hmm. You're going to be like, ah, okay. You're going to make it happen. And you'll be like, oh, maybe all of my customers will use it. Then the second week, you're going to get another request that says, hey, can I get an email when this happens? And you're going to be like, maybe 10 customers can use this one. And then the third one is going to be, hey, can I flicker the lights whenever a new user signs up? And you're going to be like, F my life. Why did I get into this? I'm servicing one client. They're paying me $300 a month. And I'm dedicating thousands of dollars in terms of you know, uh, team effort, work, planning, so we can serve this one lousy client. So you start thinking, did I screw up my pricing? Or is this just how life is, where people want want whatever they can have? Um, and then you start getting into the next part of the cycle. And I'll, I'll, we've gone through this a lot. So we're going to talk about a lot of these examples where you say, customize till it works. But then the question is, how do you customize it in a way that can work for your first fifty, hundred, 50, 300 customers. So this is actually a problem that we're facing. So I love that we're going to talk about it. Uh, for your viewers, for the viewers, we have not really rehearsed this. We're just kind of winging it, and mm-hmm. that's the plan. That's the goal. We want to wing it so that we can get our minds going as to how uh, how this happens. And we're going to use a few examples of some real world style, uh, clients that we've uh, uh, products we've built and clients that we're servicing. And go from there. So I guess let's start out with, uh, I would say the first step is to say, like, what is a productized offering? So what does that mean? Does that mean uh, I call up my local coffee shop and I say, I'm going to build you an online ordering service? Or does it mean I build, what comes first, the product or the customer? Or do they come hand in hand?
2: Uh, I'd say it should go hand by hand because you cannot create just like we discussed in the previous episode of MVP development and choosing an idea to be built. You need to have at least some customer data, a customer problem that they're that you're trying to solve, based on which you'll be uh, thinking of uh, the features of the product and everything. But you don't need to take into account Every single wish or bucket list item a customer suggests that they have wished all their life to have within your app, because maybe that's like super different from your uh, initial product offering. So I would say it's not one or the other comes first, but rather both come, come in same at the side. same time, yeah. Yeah, side by side. But then you, as a product owner, product manager, or the uh, team lead, decide on how to move forward with each and every uh, customer uh, inquiry. Kind.
1: Interesting. So, so you would basically, Mariana. Let's say we're starting a product today. It's selling uh, microphones. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go out to talk a bunch with a bunch of podcasters and see what are your needs. Like, do you need a physical mute button? do you need like a gain adjustment Mm -hmm. or maybe we'd research what's out there in the market. Right. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. And we do that in parallel as we develop the product.
2: Uh, I'd say you do that first. Okay. And then based on that, build the product with Mm -hmm. your own vision as well. Like a little bit of sprinkle of your own ideas and your own uh, uh, goals as well. Own roadmap ideas uh and then have the constant kind of the reassurance of the market to make sure that your product is not very out of uh the needs because like in the end you're going to get money only by selling the product itself because like you cannot just hope that uh, it will sell by itself just because you thought it was a great idea but rather have constant reassurance constant customer feedback uh, but in this case, um, the customer ideas should not always be taken into account. Mm-hmm. It, it it's always will depend on the request that the customer is making right, and right, right. your company goals and your product goals. Yeah. So if the client request matches your main objective, you may go uh, with the client and say, well, let's discuss what's the main problem that... You're mm-hmm. trying to solve, for example, the email issue that they want some uh, specific, customized email notifications. Yeah. You may not do it directly right away, the way the customer has described, but rather understand what the root issue right. of that is, like which why is, they want
1: that email basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. You understand that? Okay, for the sure. notification getting notifications is the main goal, and then you. Brainstorm inside the scope of your product to understand how notifications could fit in as a product feature, not a custom element for this client only. That would be accommodating the client who is technically paying you and assuming that you'll do anything to keep them uh, by your side and not losing the main thread of the uh, product to go into your roadmap to go into your objectives and goals
1: for sure so we talked yeah that's a lot of episode two for everybody anybody interested episode two has a ton of interesting detail and a little uh example that we ran together on like research and what Mariana's described which is like getting to the root cause of why somebody wants something so i think okay. uh if this topic interests you definitely go listen to episode two uh loay what, what are your thoughts on like so, you have a product built yeah it's there OK, you have uh, two, p- two clients, two customers paying for it and mm-hmm. they're paying, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month. And, you know, it's not the end of the world if they were to disappear, but they're asking for, I don't want to say unreasonable requests, like semi-reasonable requests. that they, They're not asking for fun. Like they didn't wake up in the morning and say, I'm just going to go mess with the eye. They woke up in the morning and they're like, they had a problem that they want to solve. Mm-hmm. So presumably it's coming from a real market need. How do you, as a developer or an engineer, how do you think about that in terms of like customization? Because I'll prefix it with like, we've all seen some, uh, let's say, systems that we've built where some sometimes we've done this, by the way, where we just have mm-hmm. like a shit ton of if statements for specific uh, customers because we mm-hmm. don't want to piss that customer off, especially if they're a big one. So how do you deal with that? Like, just give me your thoughts on uh, customization for specific companies or customers.
0: So let's take it back a step. What are Mm -hmm. the goals you're trying to accomplish? You as the product builder, as the man on the steering wheel Mm -hmm. at the helm. Does the client's needs align with your goals or don't they? That's the question we should be asking. Let's If there's a mismatch, they don't? Yeah. Hmm. So I think diplomacy here is the best option you should like. Out, like <laughs> check. Okay. So you, could, you should consider, of course, what the client mm-hmm. is asking for. But uh, I feel like you should always outweigh like, the pros and cons of what they're asking before you implement it. And mm-hmm. if it might steer you towards like, your end goal uh, eventually, um, then yes, we might maybe implement a small subset of the things they're asking for or the whole thing but uh it should always always align with what we want to achieve in the end uh, so okay. we don't get like uh into a roundabout and just go around in circles you know or just take a, another way another path and end up uh regretting it later on when the client isn't happy anymore and just wants to not pay anymore and yeah so you have to think about it future-wise, like with your goals.
1: That's what I think. Like long-term, does it fit in? Right, is what you're saying. I'm gonna put exactly. You the, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot, man, and ask you a quick question mm-hmm. of an actual request that came in yesterday, and I just remembered it. Yeah. On one of our projects, we have uh, like a front-end UI. Let's say this is one of our mm-hmm. uh, older uh, beloved partners and, and customers that we have worked with for a very long time, and one of their customers asked for can we change the font for a specific title to Helvetica from like a serif font that we are using? And my, my, my first response was, I mean, sure, it can be done, but like, is it that big of a deal? And I quoted them, whatever it is like to take, whatever time it would take to do that to change a font site-wide? Because I was like, look, everybody loves Helvetica. Let's just change it for everybody. And then they came back with a a curveball. And they were like, is this change going to be system-wide? Or can all customers, like, is it just for this specific client, this specific uh, event? And can other clients choose their fonts? I was like, ah man, like this turning into like disregard my first estimate, <laughs> you know, mm. like, what is it that yeah. you need? How would you approach this? Is, it? How would you handle it? This is
0: turning into a uh, web flow. <laughs> like, right. Right. We'll so customize it. yeah, like yeah. it's
1: a spectrum of at the, at the first end of the spectrum, no, yeah. no way we're not changing shit. The designer mm-hmm. did this. The other end of the spectrum is okay. Customize everything. Your font, your bold, your italics, your uh, custom fonts, upload your own fonts, mm. Google fonts, uh, where do you do you go to the extreme ends or is it somewhere in the middle?
0: Uh, personally, uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I would say deal no with that. And I would say no, of course. <laughs> but uh, I, I should ask him why. You know yeah. why do you want to change the yeah. font? What's the point? Why is Helvetica an important choice for you? An important font. Okay, maybe it's their brand identity. You know they use Helvetica. True. Then I would say, mm, okay, you have a point. That's fair enough. And we might consider it and uh, maybe check how long it would take to uh, make this this title uh, configurable across the board. If it's too much work, I'll just change it for that client and just be done with it. Because um, how many times are we going to get this request? Really? So we have to really think um, about It's the first time about I've it. ever seen it, by the way. It's the yeah, first time, right? Good. So. Yeah. If there's another time, like a second time, a third time, then we might consider, okay, let's make the title configurable, the font title. And maybe let's make the entire text on the page configurable uh, text, uh, font, uh, boldness, whatever, you know. But we should really think about how many times are we going to get this request. If it's just one time, we can do it um like in a hacky way, and that's it, and be done with it. But if we get it like three, four times in a row, then we should consider it. So I might say no at first, but then I would think about it and say, um, okay, um, let's do it. And we'll see what happens in the future with other clients. Okay. So you I would go with like a
1: if, like I'll customize for this specific client until it works, yeah. right? Because you yeah. want them to be yeah. happy. And then like, you'll I disagree, but I'm going to change
0: it for you yeah. Yeah. later on. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. If you, yeah, exactly. So if you start yeah. uh, charging them for it, say it's an extra feature on their monthly plan, then you've gained something here, right? Mm-hmm. But it should really be after you get some uh, requests, like, m- m- like more evidence more than one votes. request. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Mariana, how, how do you that's... approach that discussion with the client? I want my phone. I love Helvetica. Let's say that's the reason. The reason is that I love Helvetica, guys. I just mm-hmm. love it. It's my There's favorite actually...
2: phone few uh, approaches that I was thinking of at this time. Uh, one is actually asking, since this is a very specific product that is B2B2B or like B2B2C in some That's sense. That's exactly
1: what it is, yeah.
2: And in this case, since we are not the ones directly working with the actual clients that are using the platform, uh, my accommodating self Would say, (laughs) I would uh, suggest you to uh, survey your clients and see if there are any other people uh, thinking of this feature as well. Because if they are, maybe we can increase the prices for both uh, endpoints uh, and both you and us can earn more money on this additional feature that is white labeling or like uh, branding your platform or something like that so in this case maybe this is a feature that people didn't think they need but they actually need so just like the uh, iPods case of Apple no one knew they needed iPods but when Apple introduced iPods turned out everyone needed them (laughs) So in this case, maybe people are not thinking of it because they don't have the the functionality, but they might be willing to pay for it. They might be willing to pay extra per month for it. So in this case, my, as I said, accommodating self, the products uh, side of me would say, Uh, Do a customer survey, see if there are any more people requesting it. And if it's a yes, then let's think of a pricing model that will work for both of us. Uh, A quote for a global change that will accommodate all the clients wanting those features. If, If there's like zero interest in it and there's only this one client that is really hesitant about their font and their italics, Uh, I'd say, okay, we can do this um, if it's a long term client and we have had uh, working with them for a long time. I would give that as a gift because it's not very big deal to write an if statement for a specific subdomain or an event within the platform. But if it's a new client, I would just tell that it's an additional feature for a very small amount of money and upsell it as a. an additional functionality for your client so that would be my approach because in this case it would be very stupid to do it globally without understanding if it's needed at all and like charge the whole client uh, and their clientele just because a client decided that their branding is too important to them but ignoring it completely would not be very nice
1: I think I think we all agree that like on that spectrum, first you're gonna give them what they need, because it's a simple change. And then long term you're gonna think of how it fit it might be a valid request. Like people want their brand guide to be out there, especially because it's B2B to C, you're right. Um, that's like the easy example I'm giving out today, which is, you know, font change, which is funny because it just came through even after we decided the topic. It's like the universe mm-hmm. is sending us signals
0: maybe this is a great example of um what we're going to talk about like like you said productization um but um i was just going to say something uh so would you really want to this is the developer in me talking would you really want to open the panderas box of uh doing the customer survey yeah like maybe oh. that's gonna open like
1: a whole new thing <laughs> dude i'm I mean... terrified of that shit like i'm I'm so yeah. giving that test to mariana and i don't want to even know the results like when we do it for antismos for example like i don't because customers when you ask them they might give you some very interesting insight Out- and i should land this ideas, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah i would like to turn on the lights when the user says <laughs> Yeah, but
0: this understand. is the developer in me not the actual like uh i shouldn't think yeah. like, feel this way but i do as a developer you know but that's the wrong the wrong path to take you know you should always listen to
2: your customers uh, (laughs) yeah i think researching a little bit more uh, user experience gives you another mindset of users behaviors as well so like when you actually go into the product side of things and realize that how impactful can a single change be uh in the customer's eyes. You then understand that, okay, surveying might reveal so many more things that you're not willing to do at all, have zero patience, efforts, energy, resources to do all of that, but then at least you know what they want, and at least you can prioritize your next uh, sprint cycle or however your methodology of development uh, the product is. At least now you have a better sense of direction and it's, uh, I would want to compare it as an analog for map. Like you, when you sit in a car and you start driving, you need to ask the customer where they want to go to have the final direction point on the map pinned. So you know how to get to that point. Otherwise, when you're just driving around and you're getting nowhere because you're thinking, well, I might also go to, go pick up some groceries. I might as well uh, fill up the gas tank. I might as well change the oil, but instead you, all you needed to do was go to the next uh, blocks coffee shop and grab a coffee. So you need to understand what the client's final goal is with your product and like, especially with the current uh, product development trends that I'm seeing is uh, trying to provide all-in-one solutions, which is also right. not a good thing because uh, a lot of the products that I'm using, a lot, a lot of softwares that I'm using are trying to give me everything at once everything. and trying to upsell yeah. at once. Meanwhile, all I wanted from you was this one simple thing. like. If it's a ClickUp, for example, or I don't know, Figma, whatever, I'm using it for the main features of this product, and I'm already using another solution for this other need. And I'm not really willing to switch my whole data or my whole information that I already have built in this other platform just to have everything in one place, although (laughs) I as a Project manager like love to have it organized in one place so it's reachable so everything is connected you can link everything you can put on relationships dependencies i know everything it's super nice and like very efficient but i'm not willing to do the step of saying bye to something that i've already been using for so long and i'm so used to it and i've accommodated all my data points to it all my resources to it so in this case sometimes the trend to have everything at once in one all product on. and that's yeah only one solution
1: the toxic toxic yeah ways of that's matters.
2: too much customization i think because that's yeah, yeah. A, a little bit of greediness as well i will be uh, saying because you're trying to capture the whole market meanwhile the product management uh, perspective always says to find a niche where you can be the best in that niche and that's going to give you higher revenue that's going to give you a better perspective of your product better objectives yeah. and your clients are going to need you for that specific thing and are going to be demanding of very specific features instead of yeah i want notifications yeah. i want this you know <laughs> it,
1: it's funny it reminds me of like a really funny thing that happened two days ago when we were when you and i and uh, armin were googling for uh, like we're just looking at engineering as marketing type of things right mm-hmm. on, uh, on Google. And we're Googling for uh, drag-and-drop app builder, I think was the keyword. We're just messing with keywords. We're trying to see, like, what are some keywords with high search volume, low competition. And we get one of the results, which says uh, drag-and-drop app builder. It's, like, ranked number three on the page. And it's, uh, it's, it's a survey software so you can build a form really? <laughs> okay so I remember you know Armin at the time is like, hey, he's like I don't know the service what is it oh it must be a drag and drop I'm like bro it's a it's a freaking uh, survey software so we go in and we create an account you can just the only thing they add is that you can create a separate page that has like <laughs> images and text and then it goes to your okay. form okay
0: uh.
1: so most people think maybe they want an app but it turns out they just want like a form
0: yeah, or maybe a multi-step collection.
1: form. Right. So it's not an app builder. It's, when I say app builder to the AI as like the developer, he's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> databases and endpoints and components. And, uh, and it's just their way of harvesting leads on exactly. Google. Most people are fine to go
0: with just the yeah. Google Form, really. Like, oh, that's all they need when you get down to it. Yeah, Uh, I just want to say something uh, about what Mariana said, like the all-in-one solution. Uh, Technically, this just creates a bunch of bloat, like a bunch of bloated software. And dealing with bloated software, um, it can't take you that far. Eventually, you'll have to sacrifice some quality somewhere. Either uh, this corner, that corner, quality will be sacrificed. So technically... Uh, You're right, like the all in one solutions are not the way to go, very bad, in my opinion. Just focus on a few things, do them well, and don't try to be everything. You know, don't do everything because eventually you end up with a massively bloated piece of software, and maintaining it would just require so much effort and so much time, so much money, so much people, and even iterating on it, like adding features to it. Will be even harder. So it's a headache. Yeah, you're shooting yourself in the foot. So, yeah, but even if breaking like, it up into microservices won't do any. Won't no, do no, any no. Good. If you think <laughs> of course, um,
1: products mm. like ClickUp, yeah. like, it's interesting because mm. uh, we work to the company they shall not be named, and we had trouble holding it together during the meeting. Like we were there in person, and uh, somebody comes in with an idea. They shall also be not be named, and they're like, and We asked them, "Okay." They were, they were working on like an automation project, like uh, some sort of project to uh, automate certain parts of the company. And they're like, we've decided, like they had been building custom software for the last six months or a year. And they're getting a lot of customization questions. Like, can we have different statuses for the steps of the automation? And some genius came up with an idea. They're like, we're going to use ClickUp for our, Factory automation. So me and Larry are sitting there. We're like, ClickUp. <laughs> we're like, what, what do you mean ClickUp? Like, it's a project management tool. Because like, it has statuses. And, like, our product has statuses too. Like, how, does that, how is this happening? Like, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to integrate all of our systems with ClickUp. And then the users can just go in and change whatever they want. So I think it was at the time. So we're like, okay, so you guys just need something that can let you do like custom attributes and different statuses? Like is that, or do you actually need to do something worthwhile? And it turns out they were abandoning their whole custom development schedule because they needed custom statuses. Literally those two things, custom statuses and custom attributes. And I noticed, we were talking to the developers, there were some developers in the room and we even left, we were in the parking lot talking and we're like, they can't think at a higher level of abstraction. Like the concept of saying, how do I make my statuses configurable on like another level up? They could not grasp. They just, they just couldn't get it. Not, not because they're stupid people, they're great people. But it's because they were always in a service mindset, not a productization mindset. They're not building a product for the world. They have 20 different departments calling them and As smart people that want to keep their jobs, we need to serve the departments that are asking for stuff. And that's where it fell apart because you get like somebody in uh, a specific department, like uh, whatever, accounting, revenue. They're like, I need this and I need this next week. So you're like, all right, screw you, dude. I'm not going to make this customizable. Like, here you go. Take your feature. I kept my job. It's Thursday night. I'm going out. Don't call me. Don't talk to me as long as you got your feature. Whereas if they had adopted more of like a product mindset, even though they're in a service-oriented offering that's internal to the business, maybe they could have created custom status. I remember when they proposed that, like we, we couldn't, like it took me a minute to process it. I'm like, click up. Yeah. And I think there were some other propositions, like some other dumb shit, like Monday.com or, or teamwork. Like, what, like another project management tool. Um, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Like I think I joked projects. at one point and told them just do it in a Google Doc or something. Yeah, yeah. Like doing <laughs> yeah, the I was sheet. an asshole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, it's not their fault. It's thinking about it in the sense that they are in a service-oriented mindset. But, hmm. like, I'll say, that, so I, maybe I'll jump into this later. I was going to talk about, like, the custom metadata feature that I just mm. built that I'm super proud of. And tell you about all my toxic thoughts after that to make us an all-in-one type of product. But then I restrained myself. I was like, how would the team react? They'd be like, dude, get out of my face. Like,
0: <laughs> Did you jump the gun?
1: <laughs> I, I just like, I, I killed the idea on my own, in my own head. I was okay. like, this is a hobby, not a moneymaker. I'll go do this on the weekend if I want to do it. Like, mm. um, I anyways, yeah. I'd like to mention, yeah. ahead, like to mention something
2: about... Uh, internal service mindset type of thing as well uh, because uh, right now what we're talking about is usually for external clients and you know, products that are going to be sold to markets uh, and we don't really take into account the internal product building processes as well because there are a lot of big companies and small companies that have a whole team dedicated to internal product building because. Uh, those can be very specific niche uh services within the company that need a very specific uh software or something a solution and in that case, although we don't have um that in our company in our agency, I would still want to make a statement to everyone <laughs> working in that type of setting uh even if your clients are your teammates or your companies other departments they are still users and they still deserve normal usable products and yeah just because Same you're too, not man. earning yeah. yeah just because you're not earning extra cash on the paper from the product that you build or from the software that you build, built you don't need to ditch the usability uh priority you don't need to ditch uh having the software working bug free, error free, because you're still gonna be the one bugged out about, oh, this feature is not working and you're gonna get uh, annoyed by all the requests and everything. Meanwhile, you can build something okay and workable and usable in the first place and not think about, oh, they're annoying me with their old new requests and bug fixes and everything. Because even if, Especially in an internal team uh, product, customization is a higher priority, I would say, than product productization. Because in this case, you're building only for this very specific niche number of people. Maybe one day, like when a product manager or a marketing manager sees what you're using and sees the need of the same product in a very uh, non-usual environment other than your company outside of your company maybe another company another uh, market or something then you can think of productizing it and making it into specific features uh, not customizing it too much but until the until the time comes to give it to the external market to other people I'll, unless you're going global all you need to do is customization because the team is relying on your software literally because you're the one giving that solution giving that product to them
0: it's it's a different goal right like they like you said their goal is to just uh, do another set of tasks to mm-hmm. keep the company afloat mm-hmm. but productization is is another beast so, so the beast, they, they yeah. the two worlds i don't think they collide so that's one world and that's another one. So you're right. You're right. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting to think about
1: some uh, like popular products out there. I think uh, like Shopify comes to mind where you have this ability to specify email templates for different things that happen. Order confirmation, uh, uh, you know, when a customer uh, creates an account, all this different stuff. And they've resorted, and they've had this for as long as I remember, like a first used Shopify in like 2008 or something. And they've been having this since, uh, for as long as I remember, where it's just like paste in your HTML and put a bunch of dynamic attributes. And then they have this whole language called uh, Liquid, which is like handlebars. And it's very like developer-centric on there. But I think they face so much back and forth, probably in their early years. Where they're just like, you know what? Here's your template go ahead put in whatever email that you'd like and here are a few dynamic attributes that go in it's customizable it's extremely customizable but i don't think it's the friendliest thing in the world like like i don't i think what they've done long term to fix that is they went extremely customizable extremely configurable where it's like paste in html and then what they did was they layered templates on top of it for the the, the normies as they say like the normal users so we're normal users that are non technical Think of, you know, your uh, your grandma, grandpa, whatever, trying to start a Shopify store, like the extreme example. They're not exposed to tech. They don't understand how to use this stuff. Are they going to go in and put an HTML into a template? Or are they probably going to select oh. from existing templates that are there? Yeah. So,
0: so I think there's but a nice met- balance of, of that, you know? There's a nice balance, yeah. But I'm, I'm just afraid, like, pasting an HTML. Imagine the problems they had with just people pasting in random things they (laughs) found on the internet for Shopify templates littered with malware and adware and shit. So I think they had a problem with that because their name is on on the site, like Shopify, Mm -hmm. powered by Shopify. So that might uh, give them a bad image. So I don't think it's a great idea. But like you said, like a nice balance between the tech-savvy people and the non-tech-savvy people just to customize their, uh, their front end, uh, their storefronts yeah is, is a good, good way to, to handle that. Just a nice balance.
1: Yeah, I like that approach. Like, the more I mm. think about yeah. every time I encounter a feature, I'm like, what's like, the extremely customizable version of it? So like, now it's time to talk about metadata on Upsar. It's very interesting. Because we've done this before, the custom field stuff, and we've talked about this multiple times, but it's like building a custom form where it's like, okay, I'm going to add a new field and this field is a number and this field is a drop down and this field is a name and I'm going to add these to my customer profile, right? (laughs) So maybe it's easy for Mariana, maybe it's easy for Luay to grasp this concept of I'm going to add a field to a customer profile, but for like normal users, that's not how they think. They're thinking mm-hmm. about
0: processes, the, right? Right. Process. They're thinking like yeah. when my
1: cust—they're thinking like I wanna—I want my customer to put in this, you know, fill out this form, whatever it is. They don't—they can't think. I want to add a number field to this page and drag it to the third position. Like that's not what they're thinking. So I'm thinking the extremely customizable version of that feature is the ability to specify custom fields that. People like, like people like Mariana can grasp. then from our basic users, maybe we set up this concept of form templates, where it's like if you are because they're thinking about their business, like if they're starting a, a coffee shop, maybe our form template contains what is the the strength, like coffee strength, coffee preference? Is it V60, French press, espresso? Is it dark roast, medium roast, light roast? And that's like predefined. So they just go in and they're like, "I am a coffee place," because that's how they think would you like to include customer preferences for your coffee place? Boom. Maybe then you can add on the additional layer of customizability. To me, that's like the holy grail of productization. It's like make it extremely flexible and then layer on, it's very similar to the Shopify example. So I really want to start thinking about this stuff as we develop, like what's like the extreme version? Because then think about it. Let's say you do get that annoying client or that annoying customer, not annoying, but the customer that wants to get something done and they only pay $250 a month then you can send them to the extremely customizable version of it and give them the knowledge base help that they need and just step out. No developers involved, right? Um, what are your thoughts on that, Mariana, as uh, like a product person? Because it makes your job a lot harder, by the way. <laughs> like,
2: I was going to actually... There's one word specifically that came to my mind when you're explaining the situation, which is consideration. Although it might take us to a very human psychological perspective of uh, everything of work, of life, maybe, but it's always important to be considerate of who is this for. Uh, Because just like you're saying, if our uh, customer is not going to be tech savvy, is not going to understand or uh, grasp the values of. Uh, more technical terminology, even not very specific technical stuff that I'm not even used to going into deeper uh, conversations of that, but rather basic conversations of attributes to a user, which is a more tech uh, combination of words rather than someone who from a business perspective would know. But in this case, both project and product manager should take into consideration who is the end user, of this product, if there's going to be an administrative technical assistant who is going to set that up for him, uh, for the business maybe, then I am willing to not go uh, a step further into creating the forms, but rather just transferring all the attribute knowledge or like more technical type of uh, resources to the administrative assistant, the technical assistant, but taking taking into consideration just like Shopify taking into consideration that the person that is going to be using my product is not so tech savvy doesn't even need to know like i it's it's not a requirement when starting a business to have an uh, idea of how html works how e-commerce works how uh, payment gateway work so that's that's definitely not a requirement for a business right now in this nowadays world cuz if Shopify doesn't do it, another e-commerce uh, platform is going to ease up the process for them uh, without requiring all the best knowledge behind the, an online e com shop. So in this case, it's all about consideration. And it goes the other way around as well. Even if I'm talking to a customer who is a business owner and doesn't grasp a lot of technical stuff, I need to be considerate of the tech team behind me as well, because even if the client is asking for something very specific, very niche, that is super vital for their business, I still need to take into consideration if the tech team behind me is going to curse me for uh, accepting the request. They will always
1: curse you, no matter what. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Not us. Well, we're used to (laughs) to that. Project
2: management managers can agree,
1: but yeah. In any case, you
2: always need to. Although I would say that not having very much technical background, any type of project manager that, that, that is working with technical products should have a little bit of understanding how tech works, not to overpromise to the customer because sometimes customers want uh, their I don't know phones to fly to the moon and get back to Earth within thirty minutes just because they want that. And then
1: the lights and, flicker when the phone arrives yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but you feature. need to understand if
2: that's uh feasible if it's doable right. and you need to always take into consideration even if something is uh even if the customer is asking my, my usual uh response to a customer request is i'll i'll need to double check with my team and then come back to you with a final answer my most uh most of the cases, that's how I answer or if I'm really sure that this is something doable because I know that I can do it or I know that I can specifically explain to the developer and like the developer will, will not say that, oh my God, what what did you agree on? <laughs> Why did you get us into this? Uh, in all other cases, I usually say that I need to double check with my team because both in terms of visibility, in terms of timeline, because specifically business people are always in a rush to have everything as fast as possible.
1: I want it, I want it but now.
2: That also need no. to be, yeah. Even the custom features, you need to understand that as a project manager, you may think it's an easy job to do to add attributes, age, gender, color. I don't know. Yeah gender identity yeah. stuff like that whatever. and it
1: is cool. easy it's just like every developer has this like suspicion where it's like i'm polluting the creation
0: when i do this
2: mm-hmm.
0: exactly yeah. yeah i just want to mention like look at salesforce for example like we salesforce all is just products. a fucking spreadsheet
1: behind an api that's what i feel like yeah, but, <laughs> ultimately but it's uh, a
0: massively bloated piece of software we can all agree yeah. on that right Oh, yeah, well, I could because they, it worsely, all all sales, well, privately.
2: Salesforce yeah. uh, fans are going to cancel you guys. But
0: the, I cancels. don't think there are any fans a, of Salesforce. <laughs> Nobody uses it by choice. Yeah, um, exactly. but I think Nobody you is. know it's funny
1: because it is a multi-billion-dollar corporation. So what's your response to that?
0: I just want to say no. I mean, look at how <laughs> they uh, when a when the product is. Um, not tailored, but the product is controlled by the sales team that's selling the software. Look yeah. at how it ends up. Okay, they might True. sell to multiple enterprise uh, corporations, multi-billion-dollar sales deals. But the the core product, like when you're actually using it, it's bloated. It's yeah, quite slow. frankly, bad. Yeah, slow. Yeah, overly complicated. But so yeah. So I'm, I'm, gonna just, play I'm just agreeing with Mariana, just saying that yeah, yeah. the project but manager let me, should always be present with the sales guy when they're selling the software. For sure, that's that's, that's my point. Just, I yeah, and I think
1: I, in Salesforce example, maybe they were present, right? Let me let me push back a little. Let me play doubles okay. advocate for a minute. Put it on my sales hat, okay? Salesforce sells to very large enterprises and and some medium sized businesses and smaller businesses, but their price point is like medium to large essentially, and they're going down market now. And you're dealing with big, like, let's say you're dealing with a Fortune 50 company and that Fortune 50 company is like, hey, I need X, Y, Z and I pay you $5 million a year. Go figure it out. Yep. Sales guy comes back, like developer has no power at that point. Neither does the PM. They're like, you know what? You need to shut up and make sure the $5 million client's happy. And Hmm. take that number to scale it to whatever you see as a big number. It could be a $50,000 client for a startup. That's a big number. Like that, that, makes, mm-hmm. that makes, you know. So I think what happened logically in the Salesforce world was, you know what, the engineers went back and they're like, okay. They got the first request, second request, third request, 10th request, 20th request, and the PMs. And they were like, you know what? Sure. Everything can be customized. <laughs> like it's <laughs> extremely customizable to the point where if you want to set this up on your end, Mariana, or do I, if you want to create your own Salesforce instance, you probably need a Salesforce consultant. It's going to charge you yeah. 100 bucks an hour to yeah. customize it. And we worked with a local company here and I, like you, you almost killed yourself. Like, yeah. I, you know, I almost person, committed so. suicide live in front of the whole team. You should see um, the email
0: threads. Just, oh God. Yeah, and then
1: half of the shit was resolved over the phone, right? Like yep. ultimately. Yep. Like they would just call yep. you on the phone and he would call yeah. them. Yeah. So to play my devil's advocate uh, kind of position here, it makes money, it serves the market, but it doesn't serve it elegantly.
0: No, no, it does not. Is that
1: okay? Considering, you know, what's his name? Uh, what's the dude's name? Uh, Mark uh, Benioff is on an island somewhere and everybody that was involved in early sales force is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I think the new like, people as well, like uh, they take... And uh, the new people, like everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. Takes so, a commission from every sale, I think. Of course. Or,
1: so like, yeah, how do you gauge success? Like, is that success? Like to the artisan in you, it's probably failure, but like... It's...
0: Yeah, I think this their success metric is how much money are we making? <laughs> profit, right, profit, yeah. profit. Yeah, so <laughs> if it's, that's the goal, then okay, that's fine. But uh, just as a product... Uh, by itself, um, it's just as an, an an art piece, whatever you want to call piece. it, yeah, yeah, it's it's not the way to go. <laughs> There's no. two
2: things I'd like to say on this specific topic. Is one is again consideration. They're not they're considered only of this very high-paying customer and not considerate of all the not so big amount of money customers. Meanwhile, it's gonna hurt all those others. Uh, While trying to satisfy the bigger one and next would be diversification, which is if you have been diversified, your revenue sources, your risks, which is like the highest importance when you're trying to drive a business to have. I forgot the word for it, but. Kind of like cont- yeah, contingency reserve or like contingency reserve clients or like mm-hmm. uh, plans yeah. when you can go if the five million dollar deal doesn't go right. well. Right.
1: Yeah.
2: Because you cannot just rely on this five million dollar user, which can just go away in a year because right. you're unable your to risk. fulfill yeah. all of their. Because uh, maybe they're saying that. Well, we need all of your teammates to come massage our CEO every single day for fifteen minutes. Are you still gonna accommodate that? <laughs> just
1: because they're a <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the requirement. Maybe the system can do it. Build an AI and a robot to go <laughs> that's massage the, whole the thing. CEO.
2: You need to understand that people wow. can go to
1: That's to the so, most
2: contrasting uh, request. Yeah.
1: By the way, the massage to... thing, that's the best segue into the Middle Eastern market requiring a personal touch. I'm just going to skip over, guys, like on the notes. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> okay, me and I, I think we've spoken about this over coffee, man, before. I don't know if we ever mm. talked about this, Mariana, but I yeah. have this theory. I have this theory. Okay. Bear with me here. And this theory is as follows. You see how I terminated the Salesforce conversation so we don't get sued? I'm just like, let's just go to the <laughs> next one. <laughs> Season, and desist here five person <laughs> podcast um so i'm looking at middle eastern startups okay i'm looking at SaaS. so SaaS is like a worldwide industry it's whatever 100 billion dollar industry and it's growing rapidly and everything is SaaS, and nobody's building software anymore people are just finding existing services to do it it's 10 bucks a month 20 bucks a month 100 bucks a month and you get your business going and then i'm looking at the middle east and I'm like, hmm, because we tried to build some SaaS products here. And we even went as far as like going to market. We went to local restaurants. We went to people. And we're like, okay, you have a menu. You want an online ordering service. Go ahead and set up your menu. Go ahead. Add your menu to the system. And then you can begin to operate. And maybe they've paid. Maybe they've paid a yearly subscription. And what they do is they pull up WhatsApp and they send you a voice note. Like, hey, uh, can you add our producers laughing right now? I can tell because he's the one that used to receive some of those requests. <laughs> and he's like, hey, can you add this add-on to the system, or uh, can you remove this item? Because I am missing. I'm like, bro, like, go in, guys, do it on your own. Like, why do you even? Wanna...
0: Before that, like, uh, getting started with the menu, they just send you their physical menu sometimes, or just a picture on WhatsApp. yeah. Like, yeah sometimes my menu. they
1: will send. Like, A driver (laughs) to send you a paper menu, right? And be like, here's our menu. Now go ahead and add it. So I have this theory that the concept of self-service SaaS is a Western concept. When I say Western, I mean highly developed economies like the US, maybe even a lot of places in Europe uh, don't have the concept of self-service SaaS. But self-service SaaS being... Uh, Western, maybe Eastern, I actually have no clue about like China and, and and that world. But what I do know is that in the U.S. it's normal for people to go in and buy a $50 service and configure it, configure it and spend days or weeks configuring it on their own, on their own time, just so they can get what they want and then scale it. So in the Middle East, I've never seen that before. Prove me wrong. Are there any startups that I don't know about that are charging 10, 20 bucks a month with no high touch Sales and high-touch customer success—does this actually exist? And I would love to hear your perspective too, Mariana, on uh, kind of Armenian culture and how that works. Like, is it here's a voice note? You work for me now, or is it? Uh, uh, do they actually like take on their own responsibility and build the stuff and and, and do it?
0: Yeah, it's Always interesting to like, know. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm. I was agreeing with us. Like, I don't think. Like on the top of my head, I don't ever I didn't ever work with like a, or just see a, a product like that. Yeah, okay. like a 20 don't,
1: like $20 a month CRM.
0: No, no, that doesn't exist. I don't think so. Uh,
2: my experience <laughs> Everything here is like is
0: B2B. That's Everything is B2B. Yeah. Yeah. Highly
1: yeah. like high sales touch B2B. Like I am coming to see you, B2B. Like not even like I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you on the phone a B2B. And... B2B. Yeah. Sign. Yeah, yeah yeah
2: it's not even b2b it's like person to person like it's just me and you here
1: yeah 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 so let's have lunch and dinner and get to know each other before we can i heard that's big in like in uae saudi like like we really mm-hmm. need to have a big relationship of trust before we can even begin yeah. to talk business and then everything else just flows which i tend to like but
0: i don't because it doesn't scale <laughs> you know <laughs> no it does not it does not yeah unless you're dealing with enterprise like money Salesforce deals so. yeah like yeah big deals uh okay uh, it might scale but if it, you're doing like the 200 a month 100 a month product yeah that that cannot work you're just gonna mm-hmm. end up dead that like your company is gonna die eventually just stay that mm-hmm. way and just be um catering to all these clients uh Taking them out to lunch or whatever. Yeah, that's not, that doesn't work. Like, how many <clears throat> lunches can you do a day? Yeah. yeah.
2: I would actually say it's very similar uh, in Armenia, but I wouldn't say the same as relevant for Georgia, which is our neighboring country. And we have uh, a lot of similarities in terms of culture, but. Uh, in terms of this type of business culture, we're much more similar to Middle East because we value personal connections over anything else, over contracts, processes, nothing matters if we're not sitting around a coffee table. table. Because I think that's, um, again, I do agree and disagree with this approach just like you, because I agree because it's, gives you the personal touch in a sense that you're not just doing business. It's also, it's it like also a partnership. Becomes, yeah. It yeah. also becomes a partnership. You're friends with your clients, but it's difficult to say no to a friend at some point, because when you're doing business and at some point you need to say no to your clients as well, because you may not be able to scale. You may not be able to accommodate everything that your client is saying. Just like I said, like you may not be able to go, uh, Massage your clients every time they ask for it. But yeah. you need to know the limits to saying no as well, which is a lot difficult, a lot more difficult when you have very personal connections to the client. And in this case, the customization issue, coming back to our topic, is becoming a very difficult thing to handle because just because you have been having lunch every Sunday, you you're feeling no? obligated yeah, yeah, to yeah. yeah uh yeah. accommodate every single request that they're doing and in this case um uh, the western approach to doing business to doing saas to doing uh, service based uh, par- partnership business but uh, is much more uh technical Central. concrete right right yeah right. you know what to expect you Here's know what, what you're what, getting what you're gonna yeah, get. yeah. Um, it, it's, it sounds bad, but you know you can take these uh, papers to the court someday if you need to.
1: There's high but trust in the system it will there. be, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's high but trust. You
2: won't be able to take into court if there's any type of issue or conflict because you need to solve it on a personal level at
0: some point, level. which is yeah.
2: definitely not productive, not efficient. Always yeah. feelings are hurt. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. It's interesting. We have a client, great guy. Uh, like very relevant story. Uh, he visited us here before signing the deal. He stayed here for two nights. We went out to dinner twice. We uh, got to know each other. We're not talking a million dollar deal. We're talking, you know, like hundreds of dollars a month. That's it. Mm-hmm. But it's a commitment. To him, it's, it's the most important part of the business. And this guy came out and I was even like, because I've, I've kind of like lived a lot in the West. So I was a bit sketched out. I remember telling the eye, like I'm sketched out. Like, why would you visit over, you know, 900 bucks a month? Like, is it worth your while, your flight? Came to the office. We had a discussion of the same stuff we discussed on the calls. So I was like, what's next? You know, is it like, what is this? A heist? A kidnapping? But no, it turns out great guy. And it's interesting. We built a personal relationship. Good dude. Building a business. An aggregator. He's in Lebanon. In the south. Which, due to the recent events... Uh, there is a war in the south of Lebanon, technically, right? So there's a lot of instability. So he sent me a message. He's like, look, we're going on pause. And because we have a relationship, he has a five-year contract with us. So can you imagine that? He has a five-year commitment that he wanted because he wanted to make sure we don't disappear after three or four or five years. Because we have that personal relationship, I was like, all right, you're on pause. And every month the accountant asks me because she doesn't know what's going on in the region. She's like, you know, Do we invoice them? I'm like, no, no. Like, we're on pause. But I think in a different situation where it was just like somebody in our database, I probably would have just like let the system send the invoice. But -hmm. in this case, we're like, you know what? No, we're paused. Stay safe for as long as you need until everything uh, ends. Hopefully, safely, we can continue at your own pace. And we'll just add these to the end of your contract. So I think that's there's a big value to personal relationship in that respect where if the unexpected happens... Like, I think we'll be working together for a very long time because of the immense goodwill that we've built, assuming the business keeps going. So it is more like a partnership, which I like. I almost think like it's worse for acquisition, but better for retention, if I'm going to be technical about it. Like the, the, the personal relationship is very good for retention, very bad for bringing on new people. Not bad, but like mm-hmm. difficult.
0: But eventually, eventually, I think you, you need to prioritize retention, right? Eventually, every business just
1: built on retention, man. You nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe like, you know, our cultures here have skipped the first step and they're just like, you know what? This is what we used to do 20,000 years ago. So we're going to continue to do the same.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Whereas in the, like we we leapfrogged maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing.
2: I'd actually like to also uh, give an example of my own experience as well, Mm -hmm. where a personal touch... uh, makes me still stick to the product even if I do not need it at one day or if the product itself gets on my nerves sometimes but just because I have received a personal touch from the CEO uh, specifically I would name the product which is TLTV uh, which is a call recording uh, service. Shout out to
0: TLVD. The guy does a yeah. funny Instagram reels. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really? yeah. That's,
2: yeah. That's, that's, they
1: have good marketing. Yeah. It's a good product, too.
2: Yeah. It's basically, I have accidentally created a uh, a profile with uh, another personal email. Then I realized that it's my rogue email, not the work one. I instantly deleted not to have the uh, duplicate uh, meeting recordings and everything. And I received the message on... Uh, hey, I wanted to check out why did you delete uh, your account, if there was an issue with it and everything. It was definitely an automated message, but it was so personalized. I was so touched by it that I responded to it. And I I never respond to any emails from any type of product Mm -hmm. and everything. I responded to the email explaining the situation because I thought that the amount of effort that these people put on this automated message, this was definitely worth answering i answered that i know this is not a human uh, generated uh, <laughs> email it's an automated email but thank you very much this is the case and then the ceo replied to me that hey there w- that was indeed an automated email uh, email but this is me actually answering all of the emails so even if they are a western company and right. they are technically not working on building partnerships, uh, very close relationships and everything. They are a very automated onboarding system. They still did keep the touch, the personal touch. So I would say still getting to our initial point of productization and customization that you need to customize only based on your market data, research, understanding and consideration of your clients. But still need to take into account your product first, because the product is going to be keeping you uh, the lights on, the bills paid and everything. And you still need the personal touch, because if the personal touch doesn't exist, you don't know at which range of the customization you should go. Should you customize until you die or should you not customize at all? So this personal touch gets a direction of where are you heading in terms of your product and customization.
1: Well said. I think like if you stick on the if I if I'm building for the the world, let's say like the Middle East especially, I'm building things in the extreme form of customizable, like product customizable, not developer customizable. Like we're not customizing from scratch for each fifty dollar account, but we do have a customizable product, or maybe like the HTML example on Shopify, the custom form, and then I am. building personal relationships and having people be able to use that product in a way where it's, and that's the only way I think to scale it. Um, I don't know which model is right and wrong, but I, I really like what you said also I, and that real example, Mariana, of like, it's retention oriented, like this approach, if you have a personal relationship is high on retention, uh, tough on acquiring, like that to me is is a fabulous insight that I'm not going to forget after this so i'm curious last thing i want to hit on yes and this is mm-hmm. a question for you dai as developers do you think we're out of a job soon and let me elaborate
0: of course not as developers
1: <laughs> it almost feels like sometimes i'm coding i'm like hmm i could make this configurable Then i'm like hmm i could make this configurable then it always ends up yeah. being hmm i can let people build their own little table or database was yeah. like hmm I can let them drag and drop different elements on the UI. And it always all like rolls up. It keeps going, 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 going. And then it ends up in like a no code world. Something like Webflow or like some of these no code tools yeah. that we have. But eventually, so,
0: like you said, like, you answered your own question. Like you say, I can make it. I can make it. Like you are the builder here. You're building these things. Right. Eventually, if you reach the top, someone is going to have to build something eventually. So I don't Somebody's going to have I to build something. Awesome so should we yeah. really be
1: building that? Like, like, should we be thinking of, okay, everything, every single stupid crud app, which is every other app in the world, let's say you're not building the next ChatGPT, but let's say you're building the 99% of apps. Is that always yeah. just going to, in five years, roll up into a no-code tool? Because I'm doing... Dude, the other day I was on Webflow and I was like, hmm, I have a task that you, you created, Mariana, which is the lead flow. And I was like, we already built an app for the leads to receive them and process the payment and do some stuff. We built it while back. It needs some work. It needs probably a week of work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then I was like, hmm, you know what? I'm just going to do this on Webflow right now. I'm going to put in the tables, the pricing tables. I'm going to embed those from Stripe. And I was able to work out the whole flow on Webflow. And I was like, the only thing that I need to do to make this complete is to say, we're going to receive a webhook from Stripe and then invite the person to use their account. So, and the reason I wanted to do Webflow is not because I, I can code, but I was like, you know what? The developers are busy. They're building product. Like, I'm not going to disrupt his flow. Like, let him do his thing. And we're just going to let the marketing team control this piece. Because the marketing team is going to keep asking for shit constantly. They're going to be like, can we make it a two-step process instead of a three-step yeah. process? And it's going to get, like, the developers are get, they're bound to get annoyed. So I'm like, you know what? No. Like, we're going to empower the, 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 the marketing team. Let them make their own changes easily leave tech out of it so i'm just like this is a a thought i've had is you know what does it look like in five years code wise is it all going to roll up into extremely customizable click ups and web flows and no code and should we just quit what we're doing and just
0: go to sleep no 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 i think yeah it's gonna uh, (laughs) (laughs) i think eventually like the no code tools are a huge huge uh, success obviously and they are the future and they are right now gaining a lot of popularity but eventually when a company or someone is customizing something for their needs using no code tools um, most of the time eventually they reach a point where it stops working for them they need to actually get down in the, the mud and write some code or hire a developer to write some mm-hmm. code for them to to change something to customize something because these products are companies too and they have uh yeah. limits. Yeah. Like like they have limits on the product. Like you can't do this. You can't do you can do this maybe X number of times, or whatever. Right? They have limits. So eventually some company somewhere is gonna reach those limits. But um maybe the no-code tool will have a, like a customization option where you can write code but uh, they don't know how to write code. The the customer that's using right. that that no code tool. So eventually, they're going to hire a developer or learn um, to do that themselves. So no, we're not putting ourselves out of okay. a job. So would you Actually, be open to... making our jobs more efficient? More easier. efficient, okay. More efficient because we can focus on the bigger picture, the the the, the nice stuff, the the, the more complicated the stuff. Shit. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. let's just take an example of history. Yeah. So back the, back in the day. In the sixties, seventies, people used to write machine code on a piece of paper, like with right. they, the they punch would, cards. Like, yeah, yeah. The punch cards, exactly, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And feed it into the machine, and the machine mm-hmm. would print out an output and like all of that. Eventually someone wrote a compiler that compiles like human readable ah, like assembly code into the punch card code, right? Uh, and people used to say back then, oh, you're putting uh, developers out of a job. But actually, what people realized is those the same 10 developers that were punching in the cards now are just writing uh, assembly code. They didn't, we didn't decrease the amount of developers. Actually, we even hired more because things got even more complex. You can do mm-hmm. more complex things. You can write uh, better programs. The needs of the accounting teams even grew even more. So, right. No, I don't think we're gonna. Okay. Just, you can follow the same analogy. So we're not fighting now, it. The we're no embracing it. Thing. We're embracing it. We're actually building it. We're helping it because this helps us like focus on the bigger stuff, like the nice stuff, stuff, instead of writing CRUD apps yeah. all day. We're not writing all right? the fun stuff every, every month. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I'm with the no code thing because it helps us like um, get rid of that uh, part of coding. You know, the boring parts.
2: There's one thing that I want like to add to Luan's uh, answer is that from economics perspective as uh, I've learned economics uh, as I've studied economics in my bachelors um, the the main theory is that everything is cyclical but in development specifically and in products specifically the cyclical uh, growth is also Um, in some sense, growing uh, into a higher needs. So like, uh, it's gonna be difficult to (laughs) explain what my mind, mind is going through right now. But what I'm thinking is, although we are going back to the same needs in terms of development, custom codes and everything, They they are not the same needs as ten years ago, but those are more complicated needs. So this uh, cyclical trend is not constant uh, into it's it's not cycling within a constant, but it's cycling through an increasing number. So these needs are cyclical and increasing in terms Mm -hmm, of the functionality, mm -hmm. although the custom code is still getting back into uh, the demand the need for the higher quality codes is uh, inside into into the market rather than the zeros and ones that was previously the case
1: it's kind of like when they say automation is taking over and you know you're not going to have any truck drivers for example because you're going to have automated Mm -hmm. trucks but then they're like that part of the economy will retrain to things that are more important to us as a civilization like caring for the sick and you know, yeah. like uh, that kind of the stuff that cannot be automated. Yeah, but <laughs> at this eventually current, the like, truck drivers in, yeah.
0: will mm-hmm. find some other thing. Like maybe a truck driver is a good mechanic or a good uh, electrician so, yeah. or something. They right. might fix the trucks that are automated. They might For uh, sure. manage the fleet or whatever. You know, yes. But eventually, things will. Um, fall into place no one is yeah. gonna we a job. we definitely need
2: to have another podcast
0: episode. on automation
2: job markets
1: I agree. yeah <laughs> yeah because this is just happening to tech right now like the no code stuff is getting more and more powerful and hmm. a part of me we have one uh like product in the mvp stage that we worked on as a side project uh Yumi and ibrahim uh cronus and we did it for fun because we wanted to see what was possible and we kind of let it be But the more apps we build, the more systems we build, the more automation things we set up, the more custom fields we introduce, the more it always ends up, I'm like, hmm, this would have done it to the point where I'm thinking like in the future of our business and hopefully we can, we're able to manage this, you know, if we're taking something from idea to inception to building it to growth, a lot of that piece is automated with um, this tool. That we're developing instead of developing from scratch. Uh, not to say that developing from scratch is hard these days; it's not very hard. And you have a lot of talented people, but there's a lot of back and forth. It's prone to error. Updating. You're, you're you know, if somebody's using a, a less adopted technology, you're kind of stuck with them. Maybe they're sick that day; they can only make the change, or you have to teach another developer how to do it. It's mm-hmm. messy. Whereas, like with some of the no-code tools. And guys, I'm not talking about like using ClickUp for your freaking factory. I'm talking about like an actual no-code tool where you can build yeah. a system that has authentication and integrations and expendability later on. So definitely, Mariana, a new episode on that whole like job market automation would be very, very interesting. Let's lock it in for the next one. I like it. All
0: right. Yeah. I just want to, to, to say this one game. final thing, one final yeah, go ahead. thing just uh, right, yeah. about automation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, we developers have been putting ourselves, <laughs> oh, sorry, automating our work. Yeah. Because we're the beginning of <laughs> computers. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't see this as any different than before. So it's, it's the same thing. True. People used to write um, software for uh, a calculator, a simple calculator. Now we write yeah. uh, software for uh, spreadsheets and complex calculations. Uh, uh, cal- calculations and yeah. uh, whatever, you know, data, um, data analysis, blah, right. blah, blah. So it's the same thing. The same now we write pattern, software to make different. software. Yeah.
1: yeah exactly. And, and the main reason yeah. we do it is that so that when the customer asks us to change the font to Helvetica, we don't have to do it ourselves. I
0: yeah. think that's where it boils
1: down to. I'm like, ah, change it on your own and stay away from it. So. Yep. Yep. Just lazy. <laughs> it, it all stems out of laziness. Okay. Uh, that's awesome. Any final words, Rayana, on uh, products, productization?
2: I'd say to some of this whole episode, I would uh, get back to my initial idea of consideration all the time, consideration of who you're selling your product to, how is this customization going to be uh, assisting or destroying your product and consideration of your team as well who is going to be doing the customization itself and basically understanding who uh, is going to be using it why do they need this additional functionality and how are you going to be applying it from the team perspective and uh, as we all agreed on i'd say that uh, for all the product managers, product owners out there, take into consideration your product vision always and only try to uh, fit in requests if it fits into your product vision. Yep. That would be it That's for a great today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well said. Also, I think we could go on for hours. Uh, but to be continued, yes, this was great. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And yes. happy new year. Mm-hmm. See you in twenty twenty
2: four.
1: Thank and you new too. Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye.